First um, Peter two nine through twelve. As you get over there, the proclamation of spiritual privileges to be proclaimed in praise to Him. That's a long title, but that's the title of this message: the proclamation of pr- spiritual privileges to be proclaimed in praise to Him. First Peter two nine through twelve. If you're there. Would you, if you're physically able, stand with me as we read from God's precious Word out of respect and honor for it. The Bible says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. And beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God at the day of visitation. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We're going to go through these phrases, and we'll never be able to do them justice, but they are amazing. He makes a big turn here in verse 9. He comes off of the disclosure that Jesus is either a stone of stumbling or a rock of an offense to those who don't believe. He's going to crush and grind them to powder in judgment one day. They're disobedient to the Word, and the Word is to believe in God's testimony regarding His Son, the Scriptures, to which they were appointed. The salvation is appointed through Jesus and none other. And then he makes a big turn and says, but you, let's talk about you for a moment. You are those who have repented toward God and put faith in his son. You are, if you've done so, you're the church. You and I, we're the church. There are only two chosen nations in the Bible. One is Israel. The other is the church. We're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And let's just parse out these different elements of what's said about our spiritual privileges. Because spiritual privileges and understanding spiritual privileges is the key to living out spiritual service and not the other way around. We don't serve spiritually in order to garner privileges. We serve spiritually because we have an understanding of the privileges that are ours already. That's incredible truth from the Word of God. Throughout the New Testament, that was the habit of the New Testament authors And even here we see it here. To first celebrate who we are in Christ. What is our inheritance? What is our new identity? And in light of that being true, here's how, if you embrace that, you will live. It's not, here's how you should live in order to become that. It's here's how you should live because you are this. He opens up the hood. And I imagine, this is how I see it in my mind. My grandfather used to drive Ford Falcons, and they were cars that you wouldn't drive across the street. They were always beat up, and we were embarrassed almost to drive them because he'd drive the most beat up, raggedy cars, and he had confidence in them. He'd drive them across the country if he wanted to. And it's like we had a Ford Falcon, and now we've got a Ferrari. And you know, the Lord opens up the hood and says, look what's under this hood, and look what this thing will do. This is who you are in union with Christ. This is a celebration. This is cause for rejoicing. And let's look at them just bit by bit as we go through this. We'll not be able to do it justice this morning, or any morning for that matter, but we're going to take a stab at it. Look at it. You, church, born-again believer, are part of a chosen 
generation. That means chosen race, some of your translations may say. This is the privilege from which all other privileges flow. You're chosen and I'm chosen, I'm chosen in Jesus for the glory of God. I just prayed it just then. And it is true. While salvation is for us, it's not about us. Salvation is about the glory of God. That God would take ragtag bunch like us who are dirty and filthy and polluted and make us fit for heaven. Not just by overlooking our sin, which you can't do and stay holy at the same time, but actually transforming us through His Son into holy people. Praise His name. When we begin to understand that, we begin to embrace the fact that Jesus spoke to His disciples and said, You did not choose Me. I chose You. That doesn't produce arrogance. It doesn't produce pride. It produces unmitigated, unending joy and gratitude. The more we understand that, the more we appreciate the fact that God has chosen us as His Son for no other reason except for the sovereign choice of God and for His glory. That is the key way to gratitude and holy living. And moreover, dear ones, because He chose me, and we didn't have the capacity to choose Him, that means that choice is eternal. Because it does not depend on me. It rests in the confidence and integrity and truthfulness of God. I'm so sorry for those who would embrace a doctrine that says that you could be saved and lost again and lost and saved and back and forth and here and yon. Making salvation somehow or another some participatory agreement between us and God when in reality it's a Trinitarian agreement between God and Himself that says, I said and decreed, I've chosen you in My Son. And according to Psalm 37, saints are preserved forever. He is responsible, not me. God's reputation, if you will, and I don't say this irreverently, is on the line. If God can decree and does decree that salvation is through His Son, and it's by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is God's responsibility to see it through, and not mine. I'm grateful for that. It's for His glory. That goes back and harkens back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Get your Bibles out because we're going to go several places, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. We can see that God made a, a choice of a nation. They went into the apostasy and they remain there today. But there's going to come a day when they're going to come out of the apostasy and they're going to repent. And all of God's covenant promises are going to be kept to them, every one of them. But for right now, we don't replace Israel. But we are the church and we are being grafted in and we can embrace the covenant promises. And look what he said of his covenant people in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 through 9. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Did not The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the other people. For you were the least of all people. 
But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The Lord said, I chose you because I chose you. I owe you no other explanation than that. I have sovereignly chosen you. The nation turned apostate and wasn't able to live out that because it's a reflection of the old covenant. God never designed it so they could live it out. And through their rejection, the gospel was opened up to you and I, the Gentile, and individual believers, Jew and Gentile alike, through the transforming power of the gospel. And we become a part of God's chosen race. We got in by divine choice. There are no accidental births. Moreover, dear ones, we're a royal priesthood. Look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. Turn over to the right, if you will, at Exodus 19 and verse 6. And look what he said. We had to turn to the left, I'm sorry. You're going down the street. You don't know which way is left or right. Put your hands out like that. And the one that makes the L is the left. That's free. Okay. Um, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Their rejection of their Messiah. Open up the door for us to accept Him. And now individual believers, Jew, Gentile, Men, women, boys and girls from every tribe, tongue and nation are being recruited by the power of the Holy Spirit and chosen by Him for salvation that is eternal. And that salvation He decreed from the beginning we're to be a royal priesthood. We have access. There is one mediator between God and man and that's the man Christ Jesus. And when in union with Jesus we don't have a representative to go into the holy place or the holy of holies to go in for us. Our representative is Jesus. He went in and gave us the right and authority as priests to go in. We have standing. He said, I'm building you a royal priesthood. It means a dwelling, a royal house. You are part of royalty. There's royal blood that flows through your spiritual veins. Hallelujah. Oh, and dear one, that doesn't produce arrogance. That doesn't produce pride. It produces humility when understood and deep abiding gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your elective grace. Thank you, Father, for planting this work of salvation. Thank you, Son, for purchasing it. And thank you for Holy Spirit for making it known. And bringing it real to me. We're in union with Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 verses 14 through 17. Go way right. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 14 through 17. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah. Of which the tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. In the old covenant. And um priesthood was reserved exclusively for the Levitical line. 
But Jesus came from Judah. And it is yet far more evident in the likeness of Melchizedek. There arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, Jesus, Son, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We have an eternal priesthood because Jesus occupies an eternal priesthood. And His priesthood is not like the Levitical priesthood. They had a tendency to do something. And that was die. But Jesus is eternal. And Melchizedek came to Abraham before the law was ever given. 400 years before the law was ever given. As a type of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And His priesthood is eternal. For me not to make it to heaven after repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ means that God one day would have to reject His Son. He's not going to do that. He's at the Father's right hand, dear one, and He ever lives to make intercession for us. So we have access. We have rule and authority. I was reading a commentary this week on uh, Luke chapter 18. You remember the story, the persistent widow. She went after an uncaring uncaring and corrupt judge and kept on going, insisting for justice. She was a widow, and the widow in that time had no recourse, no covering, no help, exploited and treated like a second, third-rate, fourth-rate, fifth-rate, sixth-rate citizen. But she persistently went after to see it secure justice for whatever grievance she had. And finally, the Bible says, before she gives me a black eye, that was, that's what it says, before she ruins my reputation. In other words, every time I go to Publix, this woman's outside the door waiting on me saying, Judge, I need a hearing. Every time I go to the car wash, this door, she's outside the door. And I used to think, Jesus said, well, I find faith on earth. And I used to think that meant persistence in prayer. That's not what it means. It means standing. That woman demanded access because she had a right to it. She had standing. And dear ones, we're praying this morning and we will pray and we will continue to pray. Not because the perseverance convinces God to move. It's because we persevere because we have standing. Because of our eternal high priest. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? You have recourse God, through His grace, on behalf of a Christian who is in fellowship, is obligated to hear you. Don't cower back and go, oh, that's irreverent. No, it's biblical. He's obligated because He's made promises concerning His Son that He's decreed to you and to me. We're a kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood. Oh, we're a holy nation. Go back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. Take a left, hard left. Exodus 19, and look at it here. Exodus 19. I want you to, we're going to see something. That holy just means set apart. It means separate. It doesn't mean that we're separate or set apart from lost people. It means we live set apart in a way that attracts the attention of lost people because it's different than anything they've ever seen or known. Remember the aftermath of the tsunami that took place in Indonesia. One of the things that you wouldn't hear on the press was the Christian response to that. All the, the most Muslim nation on probably planet Earth is Indonesia. And all the other militant, hard-nosed Muslim nations provided zero aid to that aid nation when that happened. But what happened to the Church of the Living God? They flooded in there to help. That's what it means to live set apart. It means to love your enemies. It means to Pray for those who spitefully use you. It means to turn the other cheek. It means, man, if, hey, if you're not finished with that one, slap this one around a little bit. I know who I am in Christ. 
It means holy, set apart. Nation means people. It just means a set apart people. Begin to understand the glories of this relationship. Service flows from that understanding. Surrender flows from that understanding. But look what he said. We read it a while ago. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and what? A holy nation. That's the church. That's the church. You're chosen. You and I are chosen. We're part of a royal priesthood. We have standing. We're part of a holy nation. Yes, we're his own special people. Look at Exodus 19.5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Let me ask you a question. Were they able to keep it? Were they able to keep it? No. They weren't able to keep it. Are you able to keep it? No. Who kept it? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus kept it. That's the new covenant. This old one didn't work. It's obsolete. It, it, had, it had flaws in it. And Jesus never expected us to keep it in the first place. He said, let me show you this so you can recognize your failure to keep it so you could turn to my son and worship him for his success in keeping it. Salvation's always been through him, dear ones. Never through us and trying hard or our personal resolve. We're his own special people. You know what that means? It means purchased possession. It means bought with a price. It's one of my favorite couple of verses in the Bible. For you're not redeemed with corruptible things from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I started asking my kids yesterday about this and I said, you know what? How do you determine the value of something? How do you determine the value of something? Price is paid for. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Acts twenty twenty eight. You determine the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. Right? Acts twenty twenty eight. The Apostle Paul giving instructions to the Ephesian elders before he left. He said, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Wonder. Wonder how things would radically change and how we relate to each other in the church. If we kept that in mind. Look around and you see a brother or sister. Keep this in mind. That's what they're worth to God. The blood of His Son. That's what you're worth to God. Is the blood of His Son. Purchased by the blood of the Lamb. His own special people. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Webster calls, defines the word redeemed. Are you ready for this? This is Marion Webster. To buy back, to get or win back, to free from what distresses or harms, as to free from captivity by payment of a ransom, to extricate from or to help to overcome something detrimental, to release 
from blame or debt, to clear, to free from the consequences of sin, to remove the obligation of payment by atonement. Miriam Webster said that. Wow. You think that was a, a, a Bible dictionary? Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Why? Why are we left here? The children and I got in discussion of that the other day coming back from Joshua Noble's graduation. You can say a lot about that. Why are you left here? You repent toward God, put faith in His Son, all a gift, and then He lets us hang around here until He either comes back or takes us home in death. Why? I think it's answered here, isn't it? That you may proclaim the praises of Him that calls you out of darkness into His wonderful light. <laughs> that you may proclaim. That word proclaim, that's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It means, the word from which it's translated, it means to tell forth. It means to tell something not otherwise known. It reminds me of the of the skateboarders that Canyon was talking about a while ago in the square in Marietta. You know, they never heard the gospel in the United States of America. Let me tell you something right now. That is not unusual. That is not unusual. To tell something not otherwise known. God has, Sarah, has given us a stewardship. We don't own the gospel. We're stewards of it. Your testimony doesn't belong to you. Your testimony is His working through you. I don't get a right to even hold it because it's His manifest in you. To, to make something known that's not otherwise known. In other words, the means by which God has chosen to communicate the gospel is believers heralding His Word. Is that not true? It means to publish. It means to advertise. When we first started the church, we were small in number. When we first started the church, this, built, this part was full. And I, every Sunday I go out there and put a sign out there in front. And then we change the name of the church. So my signs are no good. They're sitting in the house, wasted away. But I used to go there and every morning when I got here, I put a sign out and left, put a, take a sign back out. I'm not opposed to signs, you know. Not at all. But I thought, and we shared this, the best advertisement for the church should be the changed lives from those who are part of it. shouldn't it? It's like the sandwich board, isn't it? Walking up and down the street. I remember Ray Stedman said he saw one in Los Angeles once. The front side of it said, I'm a fool for Christ. And the back of it said, whose fool are you? It means to advertise. I'm afraid not done a good job of doing that. To make known. To tell something not otherwise known. To tell something not otherwise known. Well, I'll drive them away. Where? To hell number two? You'll drive them away to a different hell than they're already headed to? 
the offense of the gospel is the offense of the gospel. And the, the opportunity is to continue to love people post-offense. If they get offended at you and you're still nice to them, it just shows forth the gospel. <laughs> you're still kind to them. You still reach out even though they ignore you and turn the other way. I've had that happen. You know, people look, oh boy, here comes My grandfather was like that. And I've told you this story before. But there's a truck driver, Herman Carter. He was 94 feet tall and 97 feet wide with hands big enough to grasp two or three basketballs at a time. And he was intimidating with a capital I. And my grandfather got his sights set on Herman Carter in Hazarhurst, Georgia. And my grandfather was that, about that high. He looked like David standing beside Goliath. And he was a wee little man, but loved Jesus big time. And Herman drove an 18-wheeler, a tractor, a trailer. And Ashley, you always knew when he was home because he parked it in the front of his yard. And so you got this big tractor trailer on a little house you can't see behind it. And so our grandfather would go by and say, Aha, Herman's home. And Herman's own testimony, he'd say, he'd look up there and go, Oh, no, here comes John Lewis, that crazy preacher. And he knows I'm home. I can't get out of it. Because my truck's it. I'm going to learn to park it somewhere else. <laughs> On the screen door. Herman? He'd come in. Grandfather passed away when he was 78 years old. And there were three men that officiated his funeral. And Herman Carter was one of them. He got saved and surrendered to the ministry. Went into the pastorate because of that crazy man. No, because of Jesus working through a crazy man. Who's fool are you? The Apostle Paul caught on to this. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. We're not going to finish this, so we'll close. But look at this. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. You got our email. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Proclaim, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Why? Because, Ian, we are his own special people. Purchased by him, we have chosen, we're a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And I want to hear you, I want to tell you something. When you walk into a room, or I walk into a room, as part of God's own, I don't care if it's a classroom, a schoolroom, a homeroom, a dorm room, a neighbor's room, or a cul-de-sac, or a cubicle. When you walk in there, Jesus Christ walks in there. You're part of a holy nation. You're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. You're a priest. You're a steward and I of the gospel. Look what the Apostle Paul said about it. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief however 
Dear ones, it was just for that reason that Christ saved him. He obtained mercy because of the one who was the least likely to deserve it, so that in him, first, Jesus Christ must might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. To look at the life of the Apostle Paul and say, if God can change and save Apostle Paul, he can change and save anybody. Because he was the chief executive officer of sin. And so were you and I. He came into the world to save sinners. It reminds you of what Jesus said in the aftermath of his dinner with Levi, who was Matthew. Matthew follows him. He goes to Matthew's house and Matthew throws a banquet. And the only friends that Matthew has are scum of the earth. Because that's the only people that have anything to do with him. He's a tax collector. They were swindlers, cheaters. They were the mafia of his time. And people absolutely scorned them. So the only friends he could have were people like him. Birds of the feather flock together. So he throws a banquet. And the only people that are going to come are the scum of the earth. And Jesus says, I'll be there. And he's sitting right there in the middle of it. And the Pharisees go. And they chastise him for it. Why do you do that? And he said, you don't want to tell you this. Those who are sick have need of a physician. But if you're well, you don't need one. And I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. I came to call sinners to repentance. Which includes all of us, absent Jesus Christ. Amen? Includes all of us. Look how it's like Paul breaks out. I love it the way he does it. He'll, he'll start declaring something like that and then he just goes, I can't stand it. I've got to say something. And he goes into verse 17 and says, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He breaks out in a crescendo of praise because he just can't stand it. That's how I picture him writing this. I've got to break out. I've got to praise him. I'm going to praise him. Because no matter where it happened to me, I've never lost my praise. He delivered me. We'll keep on going through this. But here's what I want you to note. There's a transition point that we've got to see in the next verse where it says, I beg you as a result of this being true. There's some stuff we're going to get out of that. I can't wait for you to see it. can't wait for you to see it. We will stop here. That we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into light. Who once were not the people of God, who are now the people of God. Who once had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That would be a great thing to teach your children. What is it that we're to proclaim? Well, Mama, Daddy, that we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Okay, what next? We once were not the people of God, but now we're the people of God. What next? We once had not obtained mercy, but now we've obtained mercy. Now. And declare that from the highest mountain. Every opportunity. Pray and declare it. Declare it by the way you love. Declare it by the way you live. And declare it by the words you speak. Declare it. Declare it by the way you handle your finances. Declare it by the way you parent your children. Declare it by the way you live in your neighborhood. Declare it. Declare it. Declare it. Declare it. Declare it. If it happened to you. If it didn't happen to you. You need to repent. And put faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. The one who calls you from darkness to light. Dear ones, don't forget this. And we said it over and over again. Lost people act lost. Lost people act lost. Some of that appalls us. 
what should appall us is when saved people act lost. That's what should mess us up. Don't expect anything but the lost people to do. Is that lost? What do you expect them to do? They can't do a righteous act. They're not capable of it. They've never done a righteous act. Never will do a righteous act. And they'll die in their sin and go to hell absent repentance toward God and faith in His dear Son. Jesus just comes off of incredible ministry. He comes to a leper after Simon is saved. This is Luke chapter 5. Simon's saved. Drops his net, follows Jesus. He comes along and there's a leper. And the leper says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The Bible says he fell on his face. And he was full of leprosy. Full of it. And Jesus said, I'm willing. I'll make you clean. But you know what he did right there? I saw this the other day and I just had a hallelujah hoot nanny in my quiet time. In the next event, the Roman centurion says, if you just say the word, you have to come. If you just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus healed the servant. Without even going to his house, he stopped him because he thought him not worthy to go. So without, without anything, he just all he did was think, heal, and the guy was healed. But the Bible says when he healed the leper, he reached out and touched him. He touched a man that hadn't been touched in a long time because he was full of leprosy. I'm going to tell you something. God, there are lepers all around you and me. And I'm going to tell you something right now. They have been touched a long time. But it'll take just one touch from the Master's hand. And there's a worse thing than leprosy. And it's called sin. He could have healed him and said, Done! He could have spoken the word. He did it many times. But the Bible says he reached out and touched him. Can you imagine what that meant to that guy? Everybody runs in fear when he walks in. Leper! He has to holler it out so that everybody get out of the way so they can't get it. And yet Jesus, the Son of the living God, touched him. I'm willing to be clean. Let's proclaim it. That's how we touch them. Touch the lepers and proclaim it. Amen. Let's pray.